You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Campus Beat. My name is Dinah Jansen, and I am here with uh, Queen's PhD alumna, Kiara Bracken-Roach, who is now a postdoctoral fellow in criminology at the University of Ottawa. Welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. And uh, well, I know you didn't travel all the way to from, <laughs> from Ottawa to CFRC uh, yeah. for the, just this interview today. Yeah. You, in fact, were here uh, giving a talk in the sociology department. I was, yeah. What, what was the talk about? So the talk was a presentation on my dissertation research. I defended on December 18th. Congratulations. Um, Thank you very much. Uh, The title of the dissertation was or is uh, Navigating Canadian Drone Space, a Sociological Analysis of Narratives, (laughs) Policy and Stakeholders um, in Canadian Unmanned Systems. Wow, that is a long name. Yeah, so I think navigating Canadian drone space is, you know, good to keep it succinct. Okay, what is Canadian drone space? What is that? Um, I guess really what I ended up focusing on was the Canadian drone market and how there is a particular political economy around drones in Canada mm-hmm. and how various stakeholders navigate between industry and government and military okay. and what those confluences of interest do in terms of using, flying, regulating drone technologies. Okay, so we're yeah. not just talking about the little things you can get at the toy store that people can just <laughs> buy and fly around. Yeah. And some of them have little cameras on them, which I find weird. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're a big part of it. It's mm-hmm. all about those the various spaces that are emerging so whether it's the smaller drones or bigger drones the way that certain technologies have been brought from military exercises into the domestic space and change to work in a domestic environment Mm -hmm. that's all part of the story so how do we see that market evolve and for me it was most importantly What does it mean when these stakeholders are the only ones shaping policy? What are the implications for us as individuals in terms of surveillance and privacy, Mm -hmm. which aren't regulated in specific drone regulations mm-hmm. um, in our, you know, daily lives, in our socio-technical space. Okay, so what kinds of concerns regarding safety, security, and privacy yeah. arise from uh, drones and regulations, etc.? Yeah, so Transport Canada are the regulatory agency that look after drones mm-hmm. because they are aerial technologies. And Transport Canada looks after Canada's aviation civil airspace Mm -hmm. and they've claimed throughout that their mandate is safety Um, so they're not primarily concerned with privacy that's the job for the office of the privacy commissioner but they just want to make sure that drones aren't crashing into planes Mm. and that they're not falling out of the sky and hitting people 
going about their daily business, um, which is really important. I mean, physical safety uh, is very important. Um, of course, that can become a big security issue as well. But what we see throughout, um, you know, the evolution of these regulations is that there have been civil liberties and privacy advocates who have looked to get involved. So because Transport Canada is the main regulator, these individuals or stakeholders that care about privacy or surveillance just want more of a nod to the concerns around these other issues that come up with drone technologies. Because even though not all drones are doing surveillance all of the time, in terms of it being kind of systematic and targeted and routinized, um, all drones are capable of surveillance just by virtue of how they operate, right? They need to be seeing mm-hmm. in order to operate safely. That's what the operator sees when they're flying their drone. Mm-hmm. So surveillance is always possible. So it's important that we think about that. Okay, well, uh, before the, we started recording, uh, Kiara was like, how detailed do you want me to get about my research? And we just learned quite a lot about your research in in just the last, uh, not even quite five minutes. So thank you for that. And given that you've just defended and you just made a presentation Mm -hmm. uh, today, so you've been actually talking quite a lot about your (laughs) dissertation, despite the fact that you didn't really want to talk about it specifically here today. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to answer your questions, but I, I think I did an okay job. So I think you did too. (laughs) When you work on it for as long as, you know, you do as a PhD and Mm -hmm. in as much depth as you do, I think you forget that you know, you do know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, a, that's important advice. And, and maybe more advice we can give here uh, for uh, graduate students. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, when I was doing my PhD, which I finished a couple of years yeah. ago, people would ask me uh, about my project. And I'd be like, uh, uh, yeah. I don't want it. I'm just here trying to have a nice time and drink some tea or a beer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about my research. Yeah. I, I don't know why I just felt like very um, it was a difficult process for me, it's and true, yeah. sometimes I just like I know what I'm talking about, but I felt very intimidated trying to talk to people yeah. that, especially lay audiences, mm-hmm. about my work. Yeah. What kinds of advice do you have for graduate students who haven't gotten to the defense stage yet, but yeah. need to start being able to uh, engage in critical things like knowledge transfer mm-hmm. and the ability to talk to people yeah. uh, conf- with confidence? about research, especially when they have difficulties with their projects. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Uh, That's a really interesting point and totally true. And in my experience, just anecdotally, it's the case for most PhDs. So when, you know, you're in the process of doing your work, you're so wrapped up in it, you forget how much you know, even though you're working with all of this material all of the time. Mm -hmm you take it for granted mm-hmm. so you almost forget about your you know data and your your actual broader areas of knowledge and expertise and i guess also there's that bit of the more you know the more you know you don't know mm-hmm. and so a lot of us phd's suffer from imposter syndrome right and uh i think for me speaking to 
media um, was something that I was very excited about. And because I did work on drones and I've looked at various aspects of it and can comment on public opinion and, you know, just know about the technologies, I often get um, media requests. And I like to take, take them up because it's good for my CV and it gets me being more comfortable with talking about my topic. Mm-hmm. But speaking to people that didn't know anything about it for me was always easier, even though it was media, than speaking to fellow academics who I, you know, would sometimes be worried about for judging me, even if it was my friends and I know they wouldn't judge me. It's just that insecurity I think a lot of us have about our our intelligence, I guess, or, right. you know, are they going to ask doing? me some random Foucauldian question yes, that I right. won't be able to address? <laughs> it yeah, yeah. Or, you know, what if you guys don't kind of connect on like a particular theory and somebody thinks you're inadequate if you don't know a particular theorist? I mm-hmm. mean, I've never had an encounter where that actually happens, but I think that's our fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, equally, if let's say your parents or partners or siblings or close friends know about your topic and try to talk to you about it and you shy away from it. I think sometimes that's okay because we're so wrapped up in it all the time. And when you see your loved ones, you kind of want to take a break from that existential stress and angst and topic (laughs) that you focus all your time on. Oh, the existential (laughs) angst. What does it all mean? Why am I here? (laughs) Yes. And it's a real thing and it gets more intense the closer you get to the end. Right. Or at least it did for me. And it's as it did for me, I remember joking with a couple of my friends several days before my PhD defense (laughs) that maybe I should just drop out and one of my friends in cultural studies is, it's not too late to come to culture. (laughs) (laughs) yeah well well, switch departments and defend there yeah well no i defended and uh (laughs) and and successfully at that Um, indeed uh yeah so the with the existential stress and it's something that i think a lot of uh folks uh outside of academia don't necessarily realize how Mm -hmm. wrapped up in one's research uh scholars can get uh and then there's the Uh, imposter syndrome, as you mentioned, and even if it doesn't really exist in reality, a sense of competition or Mm -hmm. a need to, you know, stay ahead or keep up with your peers who appear to be excelling in their own particular ways, while also not necessarily recognizing or acknowledging your own successes. You know what I mean? So, uh, and then of course, the uh, fear of the the defense itself. Yeah. And oh God, oh God, what happens after that? Because it's it's definitely a scary uh, world out there uh, beyond in many cases uh, for people and other people have uh, great hopes and um, great opportunities ahead of them too, but it's sometimes quite daunting. Yeah. But let's talk now about the the defense. Yeah. So how to go. (laughs) Everybody Um, always wants to know about the defense. Yeah, I have to say that everything was anticlimactic mm-hmm. okay. for me personally. So finishing and submitting was good. Mm-hmm. And it, f- you know, it felt um, like somewhat of a relief. I had been suffering from 
a number of physical issues from typing so much. Oh, dear. So I had borderline carpal tunnel on my right hand, I think, from using the mouse a lot. You know, battle claws? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep, I remember definitely. the battle claws. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on my right kind of shoulder blade, again, just from that repetitive motion of using the mouse and typing. Mm-hmm. And I was grinding my teeth at night and had heartburn. All of these kind of stress-induced things and, you know, the the weight of the thesis as well, just being there while you're doing these things Mm -hmm. um, was intense. And when I submitted, a few of those went away, almost right away, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. But I expected it to be more of an aha moment. Um, I, you know, thought I submit and I celebrate. And I mean, I I did. I I hope you did. I probably went out for you know, drinks or dinner, whatever, with friends. Um, But there wasn't that huge relief that I expected. And then I enjoyed the break between submission and my defense. Mm -hmm. And I was really nonchalant about the defense. And I was reading my dissertation and some articles I'd worked on and my notes in my, you know, research notebook. But it was in you know, the last few days before my defense that I really started to freak out Mm -hmm. and just thought, nope, this is terrible. I mean, I felt really nervous, but I I, I wasn't sick, thank goodness. I think I was too stressed. I get into this weird space where it's almost like an out-of-body experience (coughs) where I feel like I'm, what's the word? Um, Yeah, just like when you're super stressed and anxious Mm -hmm. and it almost doesn't feel real, like it's not tangible. Mm -hmm. I had that during some of my dissertation writing and right in the lead up to the defense. Yeah. And so it was just so much stress that I couldn't even really manifest it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was freaking out and thought this is terrible. And then I was like, you know what, actually, some of this stuff is good as you would hope after yeah. working on it for so long. And so everybody just kept telling me, my friends who had already defended, you know, who had been there before, they're like, you're going to be great. It's going to go well. And the day of the defense, I, well, I had left the apartment in the morning and it wasn't snowing. And then when I was leaving home later in the day to go to my defense, there was a huge snowstorm. Oh, no. And I was leaving quite early to make sure I got there early. And I couldn't get a taxi. And I was starting to freak out about that. Yes. And I didn't expect snow, so I didn't have the right boots. And then I didn't want to walk in the snowstorm to the defense. And so I was stressing again. You mm-hmm. know, I think just any excuse. Something would have gotten me going anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called my mom to freak out. And she said, just breathe. Calm down. You're just stressing yourself out. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay, whatever, mom. And then she was right. So once I got off the phone, I was trying to calm myself down and went in and uh, I saw my external who had a big smile on his face. And we went into the room uh, before anyone else got there and we're just chatting and he was very friendly. And that started to put me at ease. That's great. Yeah. You don't want to walk into somebody who just scowls at you. Exactly. You know, it made me feel positive about the outcome that would occur in two hours after the grilling or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it it also made me feel resigned to my fate. It's like, you've written this, you know all you can know about this topic. 
you're the expert in your area Mm -hmm. and they're here and it's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that uh, with the, with the lead up to the defense, well, when I finished my dissertation and submitted after, and then uh, I kind of shelved the thesis because I was working on my postdoc applications and then I should apply for some, you know, Uh, teaching positions as well and get my stuff out there and think about all of these things Mm -hmm. so I don't have to stress out so much about the upcoming defense which is in September of 2015 Mm -hmm. while also these applications need to be done so I didn't really have much of a break I dove from finishing one project to hopefully starting another one (laughs) through these uh, massive uh, shirk and banting postdoc application processes good Mm -hmm. golly Um, (laughs) but then yeah like a couple days before and I had some time I was just like okay I'm I've read my thesis a couple of times just sort of in passing but now I'm like yeah going through with a oh my god I can't remember all of this kind of thing like do I need to like it there's a lot there are many pages there 300 plus what do I focus on yeah exactly and trying Mm -hmm. to anticipate what are they going to ask me and what if I can't answer the question oh my gosh you know what I mean um so I was really got myself far too agitated Mm. several days before and then I was fine the morning of got up had some nice toast and coffee and went to my early afternoon defense and I was fine right until I walked into Watson Mm -hmm. Hall and then okay went into the room and everybody's there and Mm -hmm. hello we're very excited about talking to you about your work etc etc and then I had to leave the room while they did their discussion yeah and then I went out and sat outside on a bench and literally started shaking like the shaky knees and stuff like that and a colleague of mine walked by and he's like are you okay? <laughs> like, oh my God, I, I, they're, they're talking about me. And then there's laughter. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear laughter right. in the room. So I'm like, well, that I hope that's good. a, that's a, I hope that's just, they're in a really good mood. Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. sounds like it. And yeah, um, when I got in back into the room and immediately the external asked me a question, which I had in fact anticipated mm-hmm and had already thought about yeah. how I might respond to such a question. Mm-hmm. And I was quite thankful for that because, okay, yeah. so here's some context about what I was looking at when I was thinking about this question yeah. several years ago, let alone several weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as I started answering the question, whew, yeah, I actually felt like, uh, one, I can justify what's going on yeah. here. And two, I do have some information and this is what I know. And if I were to uh, pursue further research, here are some steps I would take, et cetera, right. et cetera, which satisfied the answer appropriately. Yeah. And then all of the other questions seem to just follow. Follow. Yeah. Save one. Okay. And did you have a question that you were ambivalent about or didn't know how to answer or you needed some time? Yeah, I mean... So in the preparation, I had found a lot of websites giving advice. Yeah. A lot from the UK especially because their Viva is a bit different and the way it's, you know, described seems more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found a lot of websites with questions, you know, and whether it was more general context or specifics on theory and what type of questions you might anticipate. Mm -hmm. So I had gone over some of those and my supervisor had recommended, you know, almost trying to anticipate what each 
person might ask based on their disciplinary background because my work is interdisciplinary. I come from politics and sociology and now I'm in criminology and so I had a mixed uh, bunch on my committee. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the first question was the general opener you talk about this, this is really interesting, tell us how you came to X. Mm -hmm. I think one question that I got that did throw me a little bit was more about teaching. Like if I went on to teach on this topic, what would be the main takeaways that I would want to teach my students? Mm -hmm. And I think it was a great way of the examiner asking me about the importance of my project, but they framed it in a way that threw me a little bit. And I had to think about that for, you know, a second. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't afraid if they asked me a question that I was unsure of in terms of I needed them to clarify or I just needed a moment Mm -hmm. to think about it. I said that. Yes. You know, it is your defense. Um, You need to feel comfortable in doing it to Mm -hmm. the extent that you can in an examination. And so I would ask if I if I didn't quite understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the questions were really interesting and would ask about the use of drones in the Middle East and militarized drones and would ask more about the specific surveillance implications of the technologies um, in terms of case studies in the domestic space. But we just haven't had that many cases you know, that I could analyze. Mm -hmm. So these were really interesting questions that I could potentially pick up in future research. Um, You know, the military question isn't a huge one for me, and I don't see my work going in that direction. But it was still interesting to have those questions and then be able to answer them and reason with the examiner as to why that was perhaps not the angle that I had taken or outside of the scope of my project in Mm -hmm. the way that I had focused it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. When I was doing my defense, um, there were a few encounters where I required clarification too. And one thing I did, Mm. and maybe you did too, I brought a notepad and pen. Oh, yes. Yes, everybody should. Yeah. And that's certainly no problem to do so. And I found it extremely helpful because sometimes you get asked, okay, yes, that you've asked me some questions, but there are a few things to unpack there. Exactly. So in order to uh, satisfy each segment of that question, you know, being able to just take a few uh, seconds to jot down a few guiding notes. Yeah. Uh, you can't write out everything you're going to no, say, but course. you can certainly just here's how I'm going to uh, structure my response. And then you could just sort of refer back to that. Definitely. Um, There was one instance, actually, where um, the internal external um, had asked me a question, can't remember verbatim what it was, Mm -hmm. but essentially wanted to know if I could develop some kind of political theory out of my work, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Well, historians are empiricists. We don't <laughs> necessarily think or produce work that's theoretical, or right. developing some kind of model upon which, you know, like, or at least I don't know how to think like that. Yeah, Maybe sure. other historians do. I shouldn't speak for the whole right. feel, <laughs> right? But um, uh, thinking theoretically as opposed to empirically and evidence-based research and mm-hmm. being able to develop arguments from the evidence that yeah. I've produced, right? That's. But what do I do with that in terms of developing theory moving yeah. forward? And then I was just like, uh, 
Okay. Is it okay? I need some time to think about that. Can we move on to the next question? And then I'll try to come back to this later. They And she agreed, the, yeah. the examiner agreed. And then she asked me her next question, which I was able to satisfy well. Right. But then as I was talking through that question, poof, the, you know, some yeah. ideas about how to respond to the question, the earlier question. Mm-hmm. I then said, and then getting back to your earlier question right. about, you know, uh, theories that I might be able to develop. You know, if I moved forward with a book on this project. Here's something that I might be able to introduce. Of course, I haven't necessarily thought about this yet because I'm an empiricist. (laughs) (laughs) You pesky folks with your theories. (laughs) But at the same time, while and then I was able to point to specific examples in the work that Mm -hmm. I had done, which might be able to contribute to the development of some theoretical model. Yeah. But yeah, knowing that I would require much more work on this because I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way. Yeah. But I was able to respond with what I had and it took me a minute mm-hmm. and I had to come back to the question, but I did it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so it felt like kind of like a huge victory <laughs> just in yeah. that sense. And then, you know, uh, the next question from another one of the examiners was, so, you know, this weekend when you're celebrating, so I'm like, okay, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a good sign. I've got like a half an hour left or so, but right. clearly I've passed. Yeah, there was, there was a good feeling in the room. There was a good feeling in yeah. the room and everything was quite congenial and uh, everybody was in a good mood. And the questions that I, that I had, of course, all of them were challenging. But one of the things, and maybe you found this too, mm-hmm. one of the things that I really liked about my experience during the defense is a lot of it was focused on how I could push my research further. Mm-hmm. Here's what I've done, but ultimately, how am I going to put, pull this together to turn it into a manuscript yeah. for publication in a scholarly press? Yeah. Which was a great exercise, it right? It was, yeah. Did you find the same or a similar experience? I did have the same. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people said, you know, it's your defense, enjoy it, make use of it. And I did have that in my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wasn't sure, you know, to what extent that would happen. So my notebook that I used to write down the questions was my field research notebook. So that if they had questions about my data, mm-hmm. I had my notebook there. And so I was writing down questions throughout and responding as I could and making notes and comments as the committee members spoke mm-hmm. uh, for my own research moving forward. Okay. So sometimes they have more comments, you know, with the questions. And so I wanted to make note of that. And then my external explicitly said, you know, when we did the second round, so it starts with the external, the internal external, and, you know, all the way back to your supervisor. And then the external and internal external, at least in my case, had a second go with mm-hmm. questions. And so when it got back to the external for the second time, so this is maybe an hour, an hour and a half in, I'd say at least. I okay. think I was three hours, something like that. And uh, they said, so, you know, ultimately you've talked about this and that, and you make some really interesting points about these things. How can we help you with your work going forward? Wow. And put that on me and, you know, then started to just kind of 
give advice and ask questions at the same time. And then the internal, external followed. And it was incredibly helpful and really hopeful too because, you know, the, the whole process, even just being in that room, for me, wasn't stable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the vibe in the room was good, but I couldn't control my nerves throughout the whole thing. So there were points where I could feel not just here, but feel my voice kind of quivering. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't even like those questions were necessarily ones that I didn't know the answers to or that I didn't understand, but it was just a weird kind of manifestation of my stress, I guess. Yeah. And so that kind <clears throat> of, it still kind of came and went throughout the whole thing. But, you know, at the end there, when I had, you know, satisfied all of their questions and they were doing the second round, where it became more about advice, it felt, you know, substantially better in terms of my own stress. Okay. Yeah. So we are uh, very quickly running out of time. I guess we've had so much (laughs) great advice. Um, But uh, while we've got about two minutes left, uh, and thank you so much for your wonderful insights and sharing your experience about your defense. Thank you for having me. No problem. It's important for uh, all Queen students to be able to hear this uh, from folks who've been through the process that that aren't necessarily (laughs) their supervisor. Yeah. There is hope. You can do this. Yeah. Now, yes. So for your next steps, where are you now and what are you doing? So um, while I was in the second last year of my PhD, I applied for postdocs. So I was starting to worry so much about what happened next that I put writing on hold for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I applied to Shirk. I applied to a few other positions. And luckily, I got one. It didn't necessarily make me finish faster. A lot of my colleagues would say, I wish I had a postdoc lined up. I have no idea what I'm going to do. For me, that didn't necessarily alleviate the stress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, a lot of these things were kind of up and down, like one day is great, the next day not so much. A lot of it can be really anticlimactic because you've just put so many years into it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I finally submitted with my revisions after the holidays, that felt like the climax. That felt amazing, that it was finally done. And then giving the talk today and being here, I'm really starting to get excited about steps moving forward. So at Ottawa with Valerie Steves, I'm going to be taking a lot of what I found in my, you know, PhD research Mm -hmm. and try to publish on it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to start trying to find out about the use of drones and big data. Oh. So how are we starting to see drones be incorporated with other networked surveillance technologies by policing agencies and border services? And how do they add to the information and data that's collected about individuals within our domestic space? Wow. I'm yeah. looking forward to reading your research <laughs> and seeing all kinds of interviews with you yeah. down the road lined up. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, thank you very much again for coming in. We are now uh, at the 30-minute mark. Oh, there we go. Uh, so, yes, thank you very much. Good luck with your postdoctoral you. fellowship. And uh, we hope to see you here back at Queen's very soon. Yeah, I'll be back. Thank uh, you very much for having me. This podcast was produced at CFRC. CFRC and Queen's University are situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. You can find every episode of this and all of our podcasts at podcast.cfrc.ca. 
Thank you for listening to CFRC's Podcast Network.